I'm really kind of joking when I say that. I've got a, uh, I got a couple grandkids staying with me this weekend, and I am reminded how hard it is to get a family out the door on a Sunday morning. So the fact that you're here at all is uh, to be commended. Congratulations. If you're a guest of ours, as always, we're so honored that you've chosen to worship with us this morning here at Bay Area. We're in this sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount. Now, starting next week, we're going to take a two-week break through in, our, in the middle of our series. Uh, next week, you need to be here. Next week's sermon is going to be awesome. Trust me on that. You are not going to want to miss next week's sermon. And then in two weeks, it's going to be Easter. And I'm going to remind you that in two weeks, you have the best chance you will ever have at having a friend come to church with you. People that tell you no 51 times a week will tell you yes the weekend of Easter. So we need to take advantage of that. You need to be inviting your friends and your neighbors. You can start practicing this week to come next week because next week's sermon is going to be great. And then the week after that is Easter and we want to, we want to honor God and we're going to worship Him and we're going, to, we're going to share good news on that day. In fact, we're going to share some good news this morning as well. And kind of in a way of introduction, I want to share what might be called a public service announcement. And this public service announcement is really kind of aimed toward the young guys in the audience. We've got a lot of young people here at Bay Area, and that's a healthy thing. But I wanted to share something that might be especially applicable to the younger guys in the audience. Something that I kind of wish someone would have shared with me several years ago. I came across this. It's the top five things not to say to a girl on a first date. Maybe it's helpful to you. I hope it is. Here you go. Top five things not to say to a girl on the first date. Number five. I know we just met, and this might seem sort of sudden, but can I borrow $500? You don't want to say that on a first date. Okay? Number four. I don't see my ex-girlfriend very much, thanks to the United States Department of Justice. You don't want to say that. In fact, I would hesitate to say anything about restraining orders on a first date. Number three, I really don't like this restaurant very much, but I wanted to use my two-for-one coupon before it expired. Now, trust me on this. There will come a time when you're married. That will be the determining factor of where you eat. That's the only thing that will matter. But on a first date, don't say that, okay? Number two thing not to say to a girl on a first date. Go ahead and supersize your order. I sold my plasma this morning. <laughs> There's actually three things wrong with that. <laughs> and the number one thing never to say to a girl on a first date, you look just like my mom. You don't want to say that. Have you ever said something to someone and they didn't quite take it the right way? And they didn't quite exactly know what you were trying to say. Or maybe you heard someone say something to you and you're thinking, I'm not sure that I understand what you really want me to know there. I'm not sure that, that you really said what I think you wanted to say. I think you meant to say something else, but, but this is what you said. You ever been there? You ever like, okay, I didn't get it. I didn't quite get what you're trying to tell me. We're going through this sermon series, the Sermon on the Mount. I think it is a perfect example of a lot of people that probably thought, okay, I'm not getting what that rabbi's saying. I don't get it. You know, first, Jesus is sharing some information that's brand new. He's teaching like no one ever taught before. 
And I think some of the things that he's teaching, some of the things that we're going to look at this morning, people had to be scratching their head and say, did he really mean that? No, I didn't really get it. I'm not sure that's, that's what he meant to say. Because that's not what I've ever been told before. I don't, I don't get it. Now, for us, 2,000 years removed, we don't have that problem. We get it, right? Of course, we get it. Because we've heard the Sermon on the Mount all our lives. We've read Matthew 5, 6, and 7 over and over again. We know exactly what Jesus is teaching. We know exactly what he means. And we know exactly how it applies to our lives, right? I mean, we're smart people. We get it. In fact, I'll, I'll prove it to you. I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself here. But uh, I, wanna, I want you to do something for me. I want you to quote with me what we know is the Lord's Prayer. It's found in Matthew chapter 6. Like I said, we're a little bit ahead of ourselves. I put the King James Version up there because, because that's the version I learned. So I just want you to say it with me. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debt. Stop right there. Hold it. Let me interrupt you for just a minute. We'll get back to the prayer in just a minute. But let me interrupt you for just a second. We just said, forgive us our debts. How many of you know what the next line is? Of course, it's on the screen, so everybody knows. But, but if, you, if it wasn't on the screen, how many of you would know? I know what the next line is. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Are you sure you want to say that? Are you really sure you want to pray that? Are you sure you want to ask God that this morning? Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Is that what you want to ask God to do? Now, I think it's a legitimate question. I want you to think this morning, I want you to think of someone who has hurt you the most. Someone who has offended you. Someone who has maybe betrayed you, wounded you. Someone that's just been very irritating. Someone that's really hard to love. Think of someone in your life and say, this person is really hard to love. And maybe it's a, a, a business associate. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's someone here in this building. Maybe it's somebody from, from long ago in your past. And what you're about to pray... In the Lord's Prayer, this prayer that we have recited over and over and over again in our lives, God, I want you to think and act and feel towards me the way I think and act and feel towards that person. I want you to have the same heart towards me that I have towards that person. Is that really what you want to pray this morning? Forgive us our debts as we, in the same way, forgive our debtors. It's kind of a sobering thought when you put it that way, right? You know, we've been going through this series. Uh, I hope you're enjoying it as much as I am. You know, last week we talked about some pretty deep stuff. We talked about desire and sexuality. This week, Jesus is going to talk about hurt. What do you do when someone hurts you? 
What do you do when someone wounds you? In the kingdom, how are we going to deal with that? How are we going to respond to that? Now we keep seeing all through this sermon series that, that Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount is contrasting kind of the conventional wisdom of the day with this brand new movement and this brand new teaching that, is share, that he's sharing. So he says in chapter 5, verse 38, you've heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. Of course they've heard that said. They know that scripture. They've heard it said because God said it. Jesus is quoting uh, Exodus chapter 21 when God talks about how to deal with contentious situations. Here's Exodus 21. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise. You know, we read that in the 21st century and we think, that, that's almost barbaric. What's that doing in the Bible? Why would God say something like that? Well, God said something like that because God knows the human heart. And God knows it's our nature. If you hurt me, I'm going to hurt you. And I'm going to hurt you to the extent that I can. How much am I going to hurt you back? As much as I can and get away with it. Because that's human nature, right? So God's not telling his people to seek revenge whenever you can. God puts down this law is to kind of limit retribution. He said, you know, if somebody knocks out your tooth, you can't kill them just because you feel like it. Yeah, there's got to be punishment, but the punishment has to fit the crime. There's got to be some proportional punishment. See, God knows our hearts. He knows if you hurt me, I'm going to hurt you, and I'm going to hurt you worse than you hurt me. And then you're going to hurt me worse than I hurt you. And then I'm going to do it back, and this whole thing's going to kind of spiral out of control. Mother has two children in another room. She has a five-year-old named Billy and a little baby, and she can't get in the other room right then, but she hears a scream. She says, Billy, what's going on in there? Now, what's every kid's answer to that question? Nothing. Nothing. But the baby pulled my hair, and it really hurt. I'm about to let him have it. And the mother says, no, Billy, you can't do that. The baby doesn't know. He doesn't know how, hurt, how hard it, how much it hurts when you have your hair pulled. You, you, can't, you can't hurt him for that because he doesn't know. Five seconds later, the baby screams. Billy says, now the baby knows. <laughs> and that's not, just, that's not just children, right? I mean, that's us. You pull my hair, I'm going to pull yours harder. Figuratively speaking, of course. Since you can't pull my hair. But if you hurt me, I'm going to hurt you, I'm going to hurt you worse. Pain felt is always more than pain inflicted. And what I mean by that is the pain that I feel, the hurt that I feel that you've done to me always seems worse than whatever hurt I might have done to you. Or whatever pain I might have inflicted to you. And there's been a ton of research on this, by the way. I saw a study where 100 people were taken. They were grouped up in, in groups of two, 50 groups of two. And they had a little contraption where they would put pressure on each other's finger, a little thing connected to your finger. And the first person would apply pressure to the point of pain. And then the second person was, was told to apply the same amount of pressure to the person that just hurt them. In every single case, 100% of the time, the person returning the pain 
always applied more pressure. Pain felt, pain that we feel, always seems worse than the pain that we're inflicting on someone else. You hurt me, I'm going to hurt you. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth. And Jesus comes along and says, wait a minute. In the kingdom, we're not going to live that way. And we're not going to deal with hurts that way. With a kingdom focus, Jesus says, I know what you've always heard. But I'm launching a new movement. Let me, let me share with you another option, Jesus says. Another option that is pretty far out there. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. By the way, Paul would get this. Paul would tell the church in Rome, don't repay evil for evil. Peter would get it. Peter in his writing would say, don't return evil for evil or insult for insult, but repay evil with good. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount simply says, if someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. I think this might be some of the most misunderstood words Jesus ever spoke in Scripture. I think we, we don't get what Jesus is saying here. You know, what, what is he saying? Is he saying, hmm, as followers of mine, you're just going to have to be doormats. You're just going to have to let people wail away on you, you know, until their arm gets tired, I guess. Just let them keep hitting you. Let them keep hurting you. Is that what Jesus is teaching? I don't think so. This teaching of Jesus, actually, is really interesting. Jesus is saying something in a way that these guys would have gotten it. They would have heard this teaching much differently than we do. Do you notice how specific Jesus is with this command? If someone strikes you on the right cheek, what's it matter what cheek someone strikes you on? What difference does that make? I think Jesus said right cheek for a reason. I think those people would have understood it the way he meant to be understood. Jesus lived the first century Palestine, a very shame-based society. To humiliate someone, to shame someone, was really more damaging than, than physical pain. And for reasons that I'm not going to go into this morning, the person's left hand was considered to be unclean. You didn't eat with your left hand. You didn't extend your left hand in a greeting. You wouldn't have hit someone with your left hand. Very dishonorable. You would have hit someone with your right hand. Now, connect the dots a little bit. If I'm going to take my right hand and hit you on your right cheek, how am I going to do that? It's going to be a backhand, right? If I'm going to hit you with my right hand on your right cheek, it's going to have to be a backhand. In that society, in that shame-based society, a backhand was reserved for people who were much below you socially. You know, backhands would be used for slaves, children, someone much lower on the social status, on the social rung here, social pecking order. So Jesus comes along and says, okay, if you buy into this thing, if you buy into this movement, this, this new teaching that I'm sharing, how are we going to deal with conflict? Someone does this to you. Someone hurts you. Someone offends you. What's going to be your reaction? Someone backhands you. What are you going to do? Because you've always had one of two responses to choose from. You hurt me, I hurt you. You offend me, I'm going to offend you. Or you hurt me and I'm going to cower in fear. I'm going to run away. I'm going to hide. I'm going to be intimidated. But Jesus says, in this new movement, 
in the kingdom. We're not going to be afraid. And here's why. Because your honor is going to rest in the hands of your Heavenly Father. And that's going to be hard for you to get. And that's going to be hard for you to wrap your mind around. But your security and your honor, your, your belonging, is going to be in the hands of God. So we're going to refuse to participate in mutual hostility. We're, not just, we're, we're just not going to react in violence. We're not. We're not going to be people in, of violence. Jesus says this whole, you pull my hair, I'll pull yours thing, it doesn't work very well. This isn't how we're going to react in the kingdom. God's love gives us a greater deal of security and comfort. We're going to be better than that in the kingdom. And then Jesus continues his point by making another illustration. And if someone wants you to, to sue you and take your tunic, let them have your cloak as well. Again, we read that and we say, it's odd. It's an odd teaching there in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. You know, as Americans, we kind of think that we came up with, the, uh, uh, with suing each other, you know, the lawsuit. We may have perfected it, but it seemed like they were suing each other quite a bit in the first century as well. But notice what Jesus says. If someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, some versions will say your shirt. If you're being sued for your shirt, how much do you own? <laughs> Not very much. Hey, I want your shirt. I'll take you to court for it. This is a very poor person that Jesus is talking about. And Jesus is telling this very poor person, if someone sues you for your shirt, for your tunic, just go ahead and give them your coat too. And again, we are so used to hearing this verse. It really means very little to us. Well, yeah, we know it. We hear it. Okay. I promise you this would have been something when Jesus said it and those people hearing it in real time would have said, he said, what? What? I had to have missed that. He certainly didn't mean what I think he, I just heard him say. Now, I'm going to ask all you Bible experts in the room a trivia question. In fact, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, you're probably not going to know the answer to this unless you graduated from, like, Lipscomb University. And some of you are thinking, where in the world is Lipscomb University? It was a very prestigious school. Very prestigious, with excellent faculty and, and professors. But here's the trivia question. How many times in the New Testament do you read about pants? Now, I happen to graduate from Lipscomb University, so I know the answer. Never. You never read about pants in the New Testament. You want to know why? They didn't wear pants in the New Testament. Clothing was much more basic in the first century. In fact, Clothing really consisted of basically three pieces of clothing, three articles of clothing. You had a loincloth, we'd kind of think of it as underwear. You had a tunic, a shirt, uh, kind of like an undershirt, t-shirt for us. It'd be a little bit longer and a little bit more free-flowing. Then you had your outer cloak or coat. And that was basically it, especially if you were poor. That was basically all that you had. So you can imagine when Jesus told these people, hey, if someone sues you and they want to take your shirt, your t-shirt, your undershirt, just give them your coat as well. Again, connect the dots a little bit. 
This is a shame-based society, right? If someone takes your coat and your shirt, what do you have left? Not too much. You know, we don't live in a shame-based society, but I get it. This would embarrass me. <laughs> this, would, this would bring me humiliation as well. So this is a strange teaching. What's Jesus trying to teach us? What's, what's he saying here? What's he have in mind? Well, a couple things, I think. First, I, I think he's trying to make sure we understand in the kingdom, it's not going to be all about stuff. It's just not going to be about stuff. You know, we like to separate people, the haves and the have-nots. And we divide people how, you know, those who have and those who have not. Jesus says, I'm not going to divide people that way. Your material possessions, your belongings, your, your things, your stuff, it's just not that big a deal in the kingdom. But I think he's also teaching us that even the poor, even the people that the world sees as weak, uh, struggling mightily. Jesus is saying, you're not weak. You're not powerless. You're not the victim who's going to seek revenge or, or run in fear or hide in shame. Another kind of life is available. She says, I want you to have it. I want you to live it. And then he goes on and says this. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. First century Palestine was occupied territory. Rome was in control. There was a law that said if a Roman soldier compelled you to take his pack, his, his load, uh, one mile, you had to do it. How do you think the Jews felt about that law? They did not like it. And Jesus says, okay, let me blow your mind here. A soldier comes to you and says, I want you to carry my pack one mile. At the end of one mile, say, I'll go ahead and carry the second mile. I'll go ahead and take it farther. Offer to carry his load. Well, who does that? No one does that. No one would do that. And Jesus says, not yet. But in the kingdom, that's how we're going to be identified. In the kingdom, we are going to serve people. And we're going to serve them to death. We're going to serve people until we can't serve them any longer. And then he says this. Give to the one who asks you. Do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. <laughs> okay. We might miss the historical context of the right cheek slap. And we might not be able to relate to the whole, you know, suing me for my shirt and I'm giving you my coat. But we all know the guy who wants to borrow something, don't we? We're all familiar with that person. You know, we treat him like a stray dog. Don't make eye contact. <laughs> don't, don't get too close, because he's going to want something. And he's never going to leave you alone. You know, it'll never end. But Jesus says, you know what? In the kingdom, we're going to look him right in the eye. And we're going to say, if I have something that you can use, I want you to use it. And if I have something that's going to benefit you, I want to share it. And then he says, "You've heard that it was said, love your enemies and hate your, or love your. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies, and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of, may be sons of your Father in heaven. 
He causes his sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. So pretty, pretty early on in Jesus' ministry, on the Sermon on the Mount, he is sharing some teaching that is completely counterintuitive to anything these people have ever heard. And to be honest, it is pretty counterintuitive to things that our society tells us as well. Turn the other cheek. If someone asks for your shirt, give them your coat. If someone forces you to go a mile, go two miles. Give to the people who ask something of you. Do more than you're expected to do. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Come on. Does anybody really live that way? Does anybody really live day to day that way? I mean, it makes for a great sermon. And it makes for a really nice PowerPoint, you know, some bullet points up there. But nobody lives like that, really. Nobody actually centers their life around those kinds of things. And then one day someone did. Consider this. Let me share with you a thread that runs from the Sermon on the Mount straight to the cross. Think about the last few days of Jesus' life. All the things that he's taught. All the wonderful things that he's done. And in those last few days, he gets to see just how much people hated him. On the side of the hill that day, in kind of a teaching moment, the rabbi says, if someone slaps you, turn the other cheek. If someone slaps you, turn the other cheek. Then on the final day of his life, his enemies surrounded him. They spit on his face and struck him with their fists. Others slapped him and said, prophesy to us, Christ, who hit you? I wonder if when he was teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, that Jesus knew this slap in the face wasn't just some hypothetical situation. And yes, he could have called 10,000 angels to destroy the world and set them free. But he didn't do that, did he? Instead, he turned the other cheek. On the hillside, Jesus says, if someone takes you to court, takes the shirt off your back, tell them, here's my coat. Take my coat as well. Then one day his enemies took him to court. A mockery of a trial, they, they condemned him to death. And kind of the ultimate act of humiliation, they took his clothes. John tells us when the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they divided his clothing among the four of them. They also took his robe, but it was seamless, woven in one piece from the top. So they said, let's not tear it, but throw dice to see who gets it. This fulfilled the scriptures that says, they divided my clothes among themselves and threw dice for my robe. So that's what they did. They take him to court. They take his shirt. And Jesus says, here, you might as well have my coat too. I wonder if he remembered talking about that very thing on the Sermon on the Mount. On the side of the hill, Jesus said, if Roman soldiers come and make you go with them a mile, at the end of the mile say, can I go with you another mile? I'll go as far as I can. Then one day the soldiers came for him. 
And they forced him to carry a cross until he couldn't carry it anymore. Luke 23 tells us that a man named Simon from Serene was compelled to carry the cross for Jesus. Same law, by the way. Jesus knew it was coming. One day soldiers came for Jesus and he went a mile with them. But at the end of the mile he said, I'll go another. I'll go as far as I possibly can go. On the side of the hill, Jesus thought, if someone asks you, don't turn away. Give the person what he asks. That's what he taught. Here's what he did. That same teacher found himself that fateful night before he was betrayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, a place that he loved to go, but he was praying to the Father. Father, if there's any way, take this cup from me. I don't want to drink from this cup. I don't want to do it. But if you ask for more, I'll give you more. Not my will, but yours be done. And of course, we know the Father asked for more. And Jesus gave more. And then on the hillside, the teacher with the kingdom focus taught, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Again, radical teaching. Nobody lived like that. Nobody thought like that. Nobody loved like that. But the same teacher with the kingdom focus hung on the cross on a Friday afternoon and looked down at the people who were mocking him. He looked down at the soldiers who were gambling for his clothes. He looked down at the people who had crucified him, kind of reveling, reveling in their victory. He looked down at those religious leaders who were basking in their moment. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That's the teacher on the hillside. That's the one that we follow. That's our Lord. That's Jesus. You know, I don't have to tell you in the middle of this political season, you know, we're looking for redemption, we're looking for a Savior. It's not going to come in a government bailout. It's not going to come from a political party. It's not going to come from some different government organization. When you talk about the real issues of the day, violence, war, hatred, broken hearts, broken homes, there's only one answer for the real issues of the day. There's only one candidate, and it's Jesus. He's the only answer. He's the only hope. And Jesus says, at the cross, all that brokenness and all that hatred, that, that cycle of, I'm going to give you worse than you gave me, it ends. It ends at the cross. It ends with Jesus. Now the truth is, you probably won't get slapped this week. And you probably won't have someone sue you for your clothes. You probably won't have a soldier stop you and want to want you to carry his pack. But I will guarantee that if you get out of bed in the morning with a kingdom focus, you will have an opportunity to show someone Jesus by the way you live and by the way you serve. And it, it'll, it'll be evident because people don't live that way. And people don't love that way. That which matters most must never be at the mercy of that which matters least. 
I don't know if you remember, but Bert read this morning what matters most. Jesus Christ and Him crucified. So now, I hope you're ready to pray that prayer that we didn't quite make it through earlier. And when we get to that part that says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, I hope you'll be able to pray that with a renewed sense of conviction. I'm going to ask you to stand up. And we're going to recite this prayer together. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. It's a powerful, powerful prayer. And I hope you meant it. And I hope you'll live like that. And I hope you'll get up in the morning with a kingdom focus and let people know who we belong to and why we live our lives the way we live our lives. People will see it. And people will, will bring glory to God. We'll bring glory to God with the way we live our lives. As a church family, if we can minister to you in any way, come to the front and let us know. Let's sing this invitation song.